This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Radio Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Bienvenidos. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. Citywide programs and initiatives on behalf of the city manager, including direct oversight of the communication divisions and equity, access, and inclusion initiatives, while she provides strategic support to the city manager, city department heads, and city council. When starting her work, City of Sunnyvale, the community faced a hate crime. A veteran of war decided to drive over a group of pedestrians thinking that they might be Muslim. The need to take action brought the community together with the wish to fight hate and intolerance. And Guzman started to put together some city-wide plans to unite people and give them tools to improve community relationships, to improve tolerance and fight hate. Sunnyvale Unity Initiative represents the city commitment to creating a culture of belonging where all members of this diverse community feel included, heard, and respected. It's a culturally rich and diverse community, Sunnyvale has been doing a series of events, training, and work ever since in order to improve the quality of life and connections among neighbors. Stay here to learn more about Jackie's path and Sunnyvale's equity and inclusion programs and the series of Unity Initiatives. Remember that this and all our shows are at StanfordHispanicBroadcasting.org. Sunnyvale City Hall, and uh, we are talking with Jackie, who now works here and in the new building. Tell us uh, a little bit your your position. You are the deputy uh, city manager. Yes. What that entails? What is the de deputy city manager? Deputy city manager is a really hard thing to explain <laughs> because it's not one thing, and it's a different thing in every city. 
So I'm in the executive leadership team for the city. I work directly for the city manager and really supporting his initiatives. I do have some um, assignments under me, so I oversee the city's communications. So I have a communication officer and, and an, a communications office that I oversee. Um, and then more recently, um, we've created the Office of Equity, Access, and Inclusion, so I'm also overseeing that body of work. Um, but then really everything else that I do is depending on, you know, what we need. So it, um, I tend to bill myself as a generalist. I kind of uh, came through local government on the analyst rank, which is really kind of a general problem solver, uh, policy um uh, analysis. And so I, in my career, have um, really sold myself as a fixer. So whatever needs fixing, I will do. Um, I would say my specialties are around community engagement. So I tend to get really involved when there are sticky community issues that require a lot of public engagement. Um, and so I get involved in those things, and that has gotten me involved in a variety of things. Um, here in Sunnyvale, I've been involved um, when there was um, that really devastating uh, accident on El Camino and Sunnyvale-Saratoga Road where uh, seven pedestrians were run over, and obviously that was devastating to our community. And that was really the start of our equity access and inclusion work, we, we realized that we couldn't just have a public safety response. Um, at that time, actually, when, the day we found out that, um, that it was an intentional hate crime, um, I was acting city manager for the first time here in Sunnyvale. <laughs> so we knew we couldn't, we couldn't just have a public safety response. We really needed to have a community response and really take an opportunity to do some community building. And from there, we, you know, the George Floyd um, protests happened, and we had one here in Sunnyvale with 2,000 people showing up to City Hall demanding an end to racial inequities. And so, again, it was our community is asking us to focus on this. Council made it a, a priority, and, and we... Um, I, with very little resources, you know, said, I'm, I will take this on. Um, it's, I'm, as a Latina woman of color, um, those issues are really important to me. And that's part of why I got into local government. And I'll, I'll share now a little bit about my background. So I grew up in Redwood City nearby, um, daughter of Mexican immigrants and sibling of Mexican immigrants. I'm the only one in my family that was born in this country. And um, my my family was undocumented um, until the '86 amnesty, um, and we are lucky, very lucky, that we we're here and able to take advantage of that because that really changed the trajectory of our life. Right, my parents yeah. were able to be legalized, um, and you know, my mom cleaned houses for a living. My dad um, was a gardener. Um, we were very typical. Uh, Latino immigrant family. Um, but, you know, my parents' businesses were able to, you know, do well enough to, to buy a house in Redwood City and give us some stability. And my mom was always very involved in our education. I think that's the, they came to this country because they wanted their kids to have a better chance, especially at education. My mom has a fourth grade education. My dad has a sixth grade education. And 
ever since I can remember, their dream for us was to go to college. I don't know how they got that in their head, but they wanted us to go to college. And so my mom got involved uh, very early on in our education. Um, she was always volunteering. At one point in high school, my mom had a tutoring program out of our school, a neighboring tutoring program. She'd partnered with the school district, and, you know, they were doing these pilots to see um, – you know, how that would work. And we would have teachers from the public high school come to our school mm -hmm. and do tutoring for the neighborhood. And my mom would cook and, you know, they gave her a stipend and she would cook. And it was really fun for me and all of my friends. Um, but she was always getting involved. So I think she instilled in us that, um, that love for public service and the importance of not just helping ourselves, but helping others around us um, and creating opportunities. And so lo and behold, all of us went to college. I went to Occidental College. Um, and after college, um, I thought I wanted to um, work internationally. I thought I was going to go into the foreign service. So I went and I studied international relations. I was always interested in like kind of governance, government policy, that sort of realm. Um, and my senior year in college is when 9-11 happened. And um, we were in war and Bush was in office. And I said, I don't really want to go into foreign service anymore. Um, and so I sort of pivoted and I started looking more at the nonprofit sector. I actually went and worked for um, an international women's health organization. And I was um, helping promote reproductive rights, um, both in, in, they did it internationally. My focuses were California and Latin America. And so I got to travel a little bit in Latin America and work with some no great nonprofits. But, um, I was also living paycheck to paycheck, really struggling, sometimes calling my parents, hey, can you put $100 in my checking account? Because I have nothing and I need to buy food. <laughs> you know, it was, it was bad and it was hard to be a college student and going through that. Um, and so, I mean, we were in a recession, you know, that, that time we were in a recession. So there weren't lots of job opportunities. And so I decided I'd go back to grad school. So I went to um, get my master's degree in public policy at UCLA. Before I did that, I came back because um, I needed to, I was not making it. I was living in LA. I was not making it. And so I was like, okay, I got to go back home. So I came back to Redwood City and I actually worked for um, a nonprofit that partnered with schools. Um, and I went back and I ended up working as a parent facilitator at um, uh, one of the, the lowest uh, income and lowest performing schools in Redwood City. It was called Fair Oaks School. And um, I was a parent facilitator. I was working with a lot of immigrant parents and helping them understand how to navigate the school system and what they needed to do to prepare their kids for being successful. Um, in the education system and then with the goal of, you know, the kids should be going to college and, and should be um, having careers. And that was super interesting work and I started getting very interested in education policy. And so when I went to UCLA, I focused on education policy. I thought, this that's what I'm going to do. All of my siblings were educators. So they had all graduated and they become teachers. Um, one of my sisters was a special education teacher um, and my other two siblings were in the... the um, elementary school system teaching. And so I, when I graduated, I went to go work for the legislative analyst office in Sacramento, working on K-12 education policy. 
Um, and that was great. I did that for two years and I really loved the role. I got to work with the California State Legislature and I was advising on budget and policy issues related to education. And some of the stuff I did there was around special education funding, um, as well as programs for schools that were in, in, uh, program improvement under No Child Left Behind. So, um, got to see all of the wheeling and dealing at that time. Governor Schwarzenegger, Republican, was in office and the legislature was Democratic, so it was a divided government. And so it was really interesting to be at the LAO at the time because a lot of times we were sort of the middle ground brokering the, um, not really brokering the deals, but creating a pathway for compromise with our recommendations and then we'd be in the back offices where they were, you know, the governor's people and the, the legislature, um, their leads were sort of hashing things out. Um, and that was really fun to experience as a, as a young professional. Um, but I didn't, Sacramento was hard because I didn't have friends and family there. So I really wanted to come back to the Bay Area. And I sort of fell into local government because at that time, another recession had hit. We were, um, I think this was around two, 2008, 2009, and we were in the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. So there were also not a lot of jobs and opportunities. So I was looking at think tanks and policy institutes over here, and there was nothing. And a friend of mine I'd gone to college with um, had done this local government management fellowship at the city of San Jose. And, um, it was for, um, for people who had done master's degree in public administration or public policy. And it was billed as, you know, a fast track into management and local government. So I thought, why don't, why don't I try this? Why don't I apply for this? And, and I got the fellowship. And so I came to San Jose and it was really like, kind of like I went from having a, a you know, a, permanent analyst job with the LAO to being an intern. But I took the risk. Um, and so I went into to, to San Jose and I did rotations in different departments. I worked in environmental services. I worked in um, in public works doing asset real estate asset management work. Really interesting. And then I landed in the budget office. Um, and I had a bit of a budget background from being in Sacramento, more high level. This was like very, um, you know, operational budgeting, but it was budget is really an, a, a lens through how you see policy, right? Where you put your funds is those are really policy decisions about what you value and what you don't value. And so it was really interesting to be there, um, at that time, my first week, they had 200 layoffs. And I was like, what did I get myself into? Why did I leave my my nice job in Sacramento? And I would call them and I'd be like, um, if I wanted to go back, could I go back? And they said yes. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stay here a little while longer to see what happens. And sure enough, when my fellowship ended, they couldn't give me a permanent position because they were still in the layoffs and you know um, hiring freeze mode. But my, I, luckily enough, I worked for the budget, um, manager and she would come into my office and she would say, Jackie, I found three more months of funding for you. I'm going to keep you for a little while longer. Jackie, I found six more months. I'm going to keep you longer. And sure enough, I ended up there until finally she was able to make me permanent. And I ended up working there for, um, 
think almost three years before I started to realize budget is great, but San Jose is very big and there's good things about it. There's lots of young people's energy, um, lots of desire to be innovative, lots of big problems, but you also get siloed into little boxes of, you know, oh, Jackie, she just does budget. And so it was really hard for me to like try to find other opportunities within the city. And so what I had realized is if I wanted to have a different portfolio, I was going to have to leave. And I was likely going to have better opportunities, funny enough, in a smaller city. So I actually went to the city of Cupertino. And um, there I went as a senior analyst and I went into their admin services department and I started doing all sorts of things because they had HR, IT, and, um, and finance and budget. And so I was doing some budget. I, I was one of two analysts that started in Cupertino. They had never had analysts before. And they, there was a newish city manager and he really wanted to sort of modernize the city as the city was growing and the demands for service were growing. So it was really fun to be in there and start building up some more, you know, processes, procedures and modernizing the local government administration. And so I got to do stuff like select a new um, ERP system, a new enterprise um, resource management system for finance, HR, payroll. Um, I got to work on that, um, which is usually an IT project, right? But I got to work on it because I had nobody else. And I was always one that would raise my hand. Oh, you want me to do something? Or I see a problem. Can I work on it? Um, and that's really valued, I think, in the workplace. And so I... Um, my boss was also a great champion and he had a lot of trust in me and he let me work on, you know, interesting projects. And so I got to also act as HR manager for a year and learn the HR side. Um, and then I went over to the city manager's office to be his assistant to the city manager. And there I worked on economic development stuff, minimum wage, um, you know, all sorts of projects there. I started taking on the office of, um, emergency services. I was overseeing sustainability. Um, I was, I started overseeing communications. Um, so just my portfolio was really expanding at that. By the end, I was the deputy city manager. I was overseeing the office of the city manager. Um, and then my boss decided to retire. Um, we knew the council was changing. Uh, Cupertino was always kind of a, a challenging place to work. And so I thought, this is the time that maybe I should look for another opportunity. And that's, you know, when I started here in Sunnyvale four years ago um, as deputy city manager. And here they really wanted me to work on redistricting or districting, the initial districting. And so that was a really great project for me to get to know community members and help really design, help the community design, because that's my approach. My approach is I'm not the expert. Um, I am a generalist and I use the collective wisdom of everybody to try to come up with the best options possible. And so we did a great process where the community really was able to design the maps that we use here um, for our council districts. And that was a really great process. Um, I'm very proud of it. And we did the redistricting as well 
And um, just, again, any sort of needs that we have, including now, one of the headaches that our staff has very in- internally is our procurement process. And so I've now um, gotten the blessing to, to do a, a process re-engineering for our procurement process. And I've pulled some people from different departments, and we're going to be tackling that um, internally. So kind of jack of all trades wherever <laughs> I'm needed and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy to step in and, and uh, get the work done. So if a few years ago you were talking a little bit about this, there was this hate crime in the Bay Area where um, uh, a veteran it saw some brown families. He say there are some Muslims. Let me kill them, and he just run over the family. Well, he a, targeted, a yeah, yes. he targeted the pedestrians because he perceived one of the families to be Muslim. They weren't a Muslim. They were, and they were actually Latinos, isn't it? Or there was, was so the mix of people. The family yeah. was actually South Asian. They were Indian, um, but they were Latinos. There were white families. It was Asian. Um, Folks, there was a. I mean, Sunnyvale is very diverse, so there was a diverse group of people walking across, um, and so it it impacted everybody, every community. We did have students in the district, I think, by that time, that were run over. Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) One of the tragically, one of the the children that was run over um, was the one that was the most injured. And um, to this day, she's still recovering. Yeah, yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, so, and then, uh, but then the community uh, started this. Well, you started this movement with the community of support, and then you created this uh, unity, Sunnyvale unity. Yeah. So it was really interesting because um, we started thinking, what what can we do? But we started getting calls from community members saying, we're devastated by this. We want, we want to do something. What can we do? We want to partner with the city. And there was a really active mom that was, you know, really involved in her, um, child school kind of PTA type, um, mom. And she was really interested in, in helping. And there was a, a couple of other young people, that um also were just like we want to we have this nonprofit and we we want to we're starting it up and we this is the perfect thing we want to do we want to tackle these sorts of issues and so we just started meeting we started meeting with the community members that were interested and the mayor was involved and we were meeting in people's living rooms trying to figure out what do we do this is so big and you know what what can we actually do that's meaningful because we knew we needed to do some community healing we knew we wanted to support the families that were impacted, and we also wanted to take a really strong stance against hate and bigotry. And so that's when we decided to have a unity event, an interfaith panel, but also like a space for the community to really um, acknowledge that hate lives everywhere, unfortunately, even in Sunnyvale, yeah. and that we need to be proactive about about trying to um, stop that and being strong and supporting um, our community and making commitments that we are going to educate ourselves. We're going to reach out to people that are different from us and create um, communication and understanding. And so that was part of the Sunnyvale Unity event is we had this um, unity wall where people made commitments for what they were going to do 
to really try to reach out to people that were different from them, creating neighborliness, being kind, um, and trying to combat hate. And so it was a really, really beautiful event. We had, I think, close to 300 people, um, community members show up, um, just a lot of support. And then from there, we, we wanted to build something. So we have this Sunnyville Unity Initiative, which was really helpful when you know, the Black Lives Matter, we hit COVID and so we, our momentum sort of stopped. But then with the um, George Floyd protests, the momentum started picking up again. And so we did a series of listening sessions with our community to understand what are the issues? What are people feeling in the community? And we, we were targeted in our outreach. We, we um, did a Spanish language listening session. We did a listening session with youth. We did a listening session with our LGBTQ community. Um, and then we did others and, and, uh, one of them was a round table with our public safety. So people could understand what the model was, what our, um, statistics were. We made a commitment to being more transparent. Um, and Sunnyvale has not had some of the problems that larger cities have had in terms of excessive use of force. And so we've had, we, I can't say we haven't had instances of use of force we have. Um, but those are all online. When when we have an incident, we write it up and we put it online and people can review um, the incident. We also had, uh, you know, our police chief, uh, Fawn No, when he started, he totally revamped the internal, um, the internal process for reviewing incidents. So whenever there is an instance of use of force, it's not just like, oh, it happened and that's it, but they actually review it. And they make sure that our protocols were followed. And um, if there's a complaint that comes in from a community, there's a really stringent process. And oftentimes, you know, one of the funniest things that happened during these listening sessions is there was a group of kids that one of their complaints that they had was they were at a park and they were just hanging out in their neighborhood park and they felt like the... the um, public safety officers that came were pretty aggressive with them and they were really taken aback and they didn't like that and they filed a complaint. Well, sure enough, that complaint was sustained through our process. So yes, it happened, but our process worked. It was sustained. And of course, we can't talk about, um, you know, the, the discipline side of it because that's all confidential. But what we can say to the community is that our process works. Um, and we've had very little incidents of use of force. We really, our goal is to try to get every single one of our public safety officers trained on de-escalation, and we're about halfway there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really do have an emphasis that we are, um, we are guardians of the community and not warriors. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really proud of that work, but of course there's always more work to be done. And this is why partnering with our community with things like Sunnyville Unity, and now our council has created a human relations commission um, that's going to really be focused on equity, access, and inclusion work. We're also doing a lot of internal work with our own employees. So we just trained about 830-some employees. Um, We did a baseline training on equity, access, and inclusion because internally we feel like we need to understand the terms. We need to start talking about these issues um, before we can 
you know, start talking externally with the community. So we're doing our own foundational work to better serve our community, to understand these issues internally so that they can translate to the outside. And then it came uh, with the pandemic came also the anti-Asian hate. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of, so we just uh, are in the middle of our 2023 unity series, which is, you know, external to our community. And thank you for, for bringing that up. That really stemmed out of an incident that happened in, in a neighborhood here in Sunnyvale where, uh, elder Asian gentleman was out doing his morning walk and um, somebody um, was, I think, ranting and he was just passing by, but this person decided to to target him and went up and started yelling at him, said some um, pretty racist things, go back to your country and, you know, things like that, and then physically assaulted him. And it happened that one of our neighborhood leaders witnessed it and ran down and tried to help the situation. And um, this was not somebody that the person who did this was not somebody that was, you know, they were from the neighborhood. So it's even more devastating. Like, how can your neighbor do this? Right. Um, and so we we, you know, the neighborhood leader reached out for support. And so the city got together, the Sunnyvale School District um, came in, the Fremont Union High School District came in, and so did Supervisor Lee's office. And we all started meeting to say again, well, what can we do together? What, How can we address this? And so, again, we had um, an event on an intercultural panel dealing with hate and bigotry. But we wanted to give our community some concrete tools. What can you do if you witness this? What can you do if you're confronted by something like this? And so we're doing two trainings. One we've just completed, um, and that is a bystander training. So we learned um, five different strategies for how to respond if you're faced with, um, if you're witnessing an incident. And some things are really easy, like just create a distraction um uh, is is one of them and you don't have to directly intervene sometimes you can if you feel safe but if you don't feel safe you can document you can just whip out your phone and make sure you're documented you can go up to the person afterward make sure that they're okay um and ask them you know what you can do to help um there's there's lots of different ways that you can still do something and in most cases the vast majority of cases it makes things better so um, we, we gave some our community some concrete tools around that. Our next training, which is happening on June 29th, is a community de-escalation training. So what do you do if tensions start to rise, if somebody's getting really angry, if you think it's going to get violent or, you know, people, sadly, they go back to these racist tropes when they're angry and they're just spewing hate, right? They're just angry. And so how do we prevent that even from happening by de-escalating the situation? So um, that, that's the training that's coming up. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And uh, about safety, sometimes we want to do the fair things or we want everybody to stand up. But the truth is that we don't know who has a gun, for example. And Things yes. can get <laughs> yes, really bad very fast. If it's a 
you know, a large male and you're a petite woman, like you might not feel safe intervening and saying, hey, stop that because you could be putting yourself at risk. So there are other things that you can do. You can call for help if that's appropriate. But sometimes, you know, calling for help doesn't necessarily mean picking up the phone and calling the police. It could be you're in line at a grocery store and somebody says something really rude and you just go to the cashier and say, hey, that person's being rude. You know, there there are other things that you can do depending on the situation. Yes, exactly. Uh, so uh, where do you see that this... Um community unity events uh, will be moving forward after this uh, training? So I, I really think that it needs to be based on what the community wants. And so we did this series based on the needs of this neighborhood and the, what we were hearing from community members about what they needed. And so what I'm excited about is we're starting this Human Relations Commission, and we're really going to let the Human Relations Commission drive it from now on. So we're here as facilitators. We will help shape things. We will help find um, trainers if we need it or, you know, set up the these things for success. But we need to hear from the community what it is they need and they want. And so we're we're lucky that we have now five human relation commissioners that are going to start meeting in July, and we're going to hear from them. What are they hearing from their neighbors and their community members? You know, what do they think as community leaders that we need to do? Mm -hmm. And it's a very diverse uh, panel, a very diverse community on purpose, mm -hmm. trying to look uh, for voices from every representation of our community. Absolutely. And we even have young people that are, we have, I think, one young person that is a commissioner that just got appointed. So it's oh, yeah, really exciting. Schooler. Yeah, high school is super exciting. That's very great. That's, that's really great. Uh, so uh, as I recall, uh, Redwood City is also a very involved community and have a very strong uh, civic engagement Uh, so you already grew up with that uh, experience and that mentality, and you say that your mom was very engaged also in, in your life and the community life. That's right, yeah. Yeah, how do you think that, um, looking back, how do you think that influenced uh, your activism and your... Oh, definitely. I, I, I definitely think that that's why I, I do the work that I do. So we... Um, My parents were always very proud people, and they um, were always very hardworking, but they also knew that we needed support, and they would look for it. Um, so we would get into, like, oh, let's apply for this summer program at Stanford. Um, oh, let's do this Upward Bound program. Oh, there's this other opportunity. And we, sh my mom knew we were in a school that was low-resource, but she was always motivated to try to do whatever she could, not just to help us, but to figure out, you know, our, our neighborhood kids, our friends, they also need support. What can we do to, to help the community? Um, and, you know, the reality was that we were in a pretty low-income immigrant community. People didn't know how to engage with government, where to go for support. And then we, as kids, we were translating for our parents. We were helping our parents navigate. It was already, you know, put in this leadership position where I'm at, you know, in middle school and high school, 
having to go and take care of things that most kids don't ever have to deal with, right? Their parents deal with this and they don't have to deal with it until they're adults. Well, now I'm here engaging with these government entities, with the hospital, with the, you know, with social security, with, you know, whatever it is we needed to do. Um, and I think that also helps you realize, wow, there are so many more barriers for our community to access services. And for me, that really stuck with me. One of the other things is um, I ended up going to a private school for high school in Atherton. So it was a completely different world. We were, you know, Redwood City and Atherton are not that far away, but Redwood City is a whole different world than Atherton. And so going into that high school and seeing that the privilege um, that those kids had and also the ignorance that they had about how people lived. I mean, I would hear things in my high school like, people are poor because they don't work hard. And here I was going to work with my mom cleaning toilets on weekends and summers. And I was thinking in my head, oh, my parents work plenty hard scrubbing your toilet. Mm -hmm. you know, doing whatever they can with the limited education that they have. It was just ignorance. Mm -hmm. um, but my parents didn't have the opportunity to have an education. They didn't have an opportunity to do, you know, they would do night school to learn English. They couldn't do night school to go to college. That was just too far beyond their reach. Um, but, you know, they did what they could to support us so that we would have those opportunities. And I saw also that there I didn't think that the kids at my private school were all that much smarter than the kids I went to public school with. They just had more resources and more opportunities. And that never sat well with me. And I said, this isn't fair. Mm -hmm. why, why is our education system set up this way? Why are there so many more opportunities for certain people than others? And I think that... Um, knowing that always stuck with me that, um, wanting to create a fairer society in whatever way that I could. Initially, I was focused on education. Now I'm focused on government, but that still stays with me. That core value of fairness mm -hmm. and wanting to give everybody the opportunities that will help them thrive. Exactly. Yes. And it's, uh, And it's still in, in public education, you know, you, you have the difference between the areas and the schools where it's not really that uh, these kids have a better gene and better, you know, brain, but, you know, they, they do have an easier life and they have tutors and they have after school mm -hmm. and they have a and safety they, net and right. they don't have to live with the stress of the other kid who is in a very hard environment and yes. a, lot of, a lot of stress and only have the little opportunity during the classroom. And you know, the kids that are, and, and even me, like I think about the privilege that I had. I had two parents that loved me that no matter what, always, we always had food on the table. We didn't always have birthday gifts or Christmas gifts, but we had, you know, a stable nuclear family. I grew up with kids who didn't have fathers in the picture, whose parents were constantly struggling financially, whose parents were working two or three jobs. You know, yes, we were sort of latchkey kids. We would get home and we would stay home. And my oldest sister was responsible for taking care of us until our parents got home. But, you know, a lot of kids, they don't even have that stability. 
they're sharing a room with you know their entire family and there's multiple families they have no privacy no quiet place to go to school they're hearing the stress from their parents about you know needing to pay rent needing to pay bills needing to you know find food all of that really how can you focus on school when you have all of the external stresses and then you know beyond that sometimes there's violence involved sometimes there's drug and alcohol abuse so you know it's just we don't know where everybody comes from and it's very quick for us to judge oh you don't value education sometimes you don't have the privilege to value education mm-hmm. exactly well and thank you very much for giving us your time and and give us a a picture of what it is to be in your position and how you got here and also the very important job with the unity and uh, we'll be looking forward to more unity events and, and see where they where the city gets them yeah absolutely <laughs> and this was Atenea Americana Atenea, Atenea Americana. Americana Stanford 90.1 FM Americana a window to the Latin universe. This is Radio. Atenea Americana, bilingual house of culture, on the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Vuelve pronto. Atenea Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later.